Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into the Winter Circle Network, and this is Center Court. I'm Mac McDonald. He's Ralph Sampson. We're going to do a little Christmas shopping for you today. Ralph, I have to ask, in your lifetime, because I know you've still, you're still doing it, in your lifetime, how many cards do you think you have signed? Uh, good question, Mike. I don't know, but I know over the last number of years since, you know, being back in Virginia and hanging out a little bit, we get cards by random people in the mail consistently, even at neighbors' houses around my parents' house. They'll send them and expect, and then <laughs> we graciously um, send them back. Uh, some people do it too many times, but we also send them back with a donation card to the foundation. Some people, Mac, will send a check, $10, $15 check, but we don't accept checks to the foundation. You gotta go online and, and submit your credit card there. But mm. we graciously send them back. And I think the last count, even though for this year, maybe over 1,200, that we probably send back and they might send the same card like three or four times and we don't send it. We sign one and we send it back. We keep the rest of them back. We give them away to kids, stuff like that. So wow, uh, over my lifetime, I don't know what, what we assigned, but it's, it's picked up over the last couple of years for sure. What about clothing? How much clothing have you signed? How many jerseys? <laughs> Quite a lot. Uh, you know, some of these things are, are, are crazy. It could be jerseys. It could be shorts. It could be socks. Uh, some things are hard to, hard to sign on. Uh, it could be pictures. It could be magazine covers. Uh, you name it, they sent it. I'm going to tell you a funny story because uh, my next door neighbor, his wife, is a diehard Brett Favre fan, and she saw him in a bar, and she didn't have a pen or anything. She lifted up her blouse, and he signed her bra. <laughs> and so what's even funnier is she has the bra on display with Brett Favre's signature, <laughs> I can only imagine. I can, I can only imagine. So, so I'm not going to ask you. I'm not even. No, ask no. You. So I, I got some Miss Holland stories as we alluded to. I don't know it's called whatever, but uh, I I didn't get to see some of those. And and there were people, Mac, that would send stuff to my. You know, after they found my parents' address, which was hard to do because all our addresses was in my sister's name. Sure. And uh, we had it my, my my mom's maiden name, so nobody can know what it is. But they they saw that. And we would get birthday presents and sinus, whatever. So some of that stuff has come to the house and I won't go in detail what they were, but you can only imagine <laughs> what, what, what was sent. Did you, did you find yourself, and I know after Virginia games, you were a little protective, but still there are a lot of people. But when you got to the NBA, did you have to sign every night after a game? It depends on where we're at home because we were, 
more protected because we could go in mm -hmm. the um, in the arena through a, a kind of a secret secure door. We park our car. We would go in. Nobody would bother us at that point in time. And then in the arena, we go in, but people couldn't come past a certain point. So that right. was much more secure than on the road. On the road, uh, unlike today's, because they fly on private planes, today they'll get out of the arena, get on a bus and go straight to the private plane. When I played, we had to go commercial, which means then we had to stay in the hotel that night. And you go back to the hotel, there'll be a sea of people in the lobby and the hotel couldn't do anything about it. Right. You had to sign, sign autographs, whatever. And we would juggle rooms around, be on the same floor. I mean, it, it was crazy for a while, but you just kind of have to be very, very secure about and protect yourself about being on the road in a hotel, you know, when you, especially when you beat a team and they got avid fans there. It can sure. be crazy. Sure. All right. Good stuff. Well, anyway, our guest today is Richard Miller, a former television anchor, but he's a collector and also has a very lucrative website with blogs and information about what you might find in, in the attic. Maybe your grandfather had a yeah, Honus yeah. Wagner. It's only worth about $3 million. We'll talk about that and more. This is Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. We'll come right back. To get into sportscasting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one. Full Sail University, great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. I have a signed Mickey Mantle rookie card from 1951. Some auctions have sold this card for $45,000. i am looking to get about $20,000 for the rookie card because I have three kids in college. If I'm able to sell the card, I'll use the money for those college costs. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome into Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. I'm Mac McDonald. Ralph, this ought to be fun today. Richard Miller is our guest. He was a sports TV journalist for over 35 years. As a matter of fact, covered you in Sacramento. He's now president of Sports Collectors Daily, Inc. And the website is sportscollectordaily.com. You can learn about, uh, you know, clothing and cards. And, you know, if you want to get that Tom Brady card, for example, for somebody, you know, the Tom Brady jersey, Somewhere between four and ten thousand dollars ought to get it covered. Or if you want the Honus Wagner card, well, in 2016 it sold for 3.12 million dollars. So uh, just think about that. So, Rich, I've got to ask you, how did you start collecting cards, and how did you get into this business? Yeah, well, like everybody else, growing up as a kid, I collected cards. Um, when I was real small. Um, my dad would bring home packs of cards from the store. And if I liked a guy, I'd draw a big red heart on the front of the card. If I didn't like him, I'd write, I was, had enough journalistic sense at that point to write bad on the front uh -huh. of him. 
<laughs> Thankfully, after I after I uh, kind of got into it a little more, I stopped stopped writing on my cards or playing with them too much. But um, just like yeah, like everybody else, started out uh, just collecting for the gum and for you know love the cards and got a 1969 Lou Brock that I thought was the coolest thing ever. Just the colors on it really popped and just kind of became a lifelong collector. And um, that's all I was really wrote here and there occasionally um, did stories on on the hobby. But uh, during my days as a TV sports anchor and reporter, but not not that often. Often, but then um, as I uh, kind of got into my professional life a little more, I decided to start this website because I thought um, this was a kind of a growing industry. And I thought, you know, it's big enough to where we can really um, support, you know, I think the hobby can support, they call it the hobby, as you look <laughs> They call it, um, but it's. Uh, I just thought it was big enough to support a daily newspaper uh, for this industry or hobby, whatever you want to call it. And so I started it. Um, took 500 bucks out of my savings account and said, oh, you know, I went to a guy. I didn't know. I knew nothing about the internet at that. Time. I mean, nothing about starting a website, um, at least. Um, and I got together with this guy and we started it and it took about two or three years for it to sort of get some traction, but eventually it did. And uh, here we are 15 years later, still going at it. I'm sure it's a lot of stuff on there, Mac, that you can uh, look at and, and, you know, any, any, uh, Rich and any Raider people on there, then Mac Michael Baum all on there. It's crazy, the Raider <laughs> fans. So it's crazy. Yeah, the Kenny Stabler card, the Bolitnikov card, that might be uh, worth something. Anyway, well, Rich, to start, let's just walk through this whole process. And I, there might be people who are just they want to get started, they don't know where to look. Um, the the difference of graded cards and the process. If, for example, if you find a card in your garage and you think it's worth something, walk us through the process of what people should do. Well, research really is the big thing. Um, everybody that had cards as a kid kind of automatically thinks, well, they must be worth a lot of money now. Um, sometimes that's true, um, depends a lot on the era, um, but it's also true that there were some times, especially in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, where the card companies, that, that was kind of the last big wave of interest where you had, uh, you know, a lot of mainstream media articles on it, and it just really exploded for that five, six year stretch. And so the card companies tried to meet the demand and they made billions of cards. And so anybody that grew up or was, you know, interested in sports at all at that time probably has some in the garage and they're not really worth much of anything, a few here and there, but for the most part, they're just not. Um, but, you know, it's just a matter of research, going online and figuring out exactly what you have. Um, and the big mistake that people make a lot of times is when they have a card, um, doesn't matter when it is, but when they find a card or find a collection, they go online and they look to eBay and eBay automatically sorts listings by highest price to lowest price. So they see the first highest price uh, for a, you know, Derek Jeter rookie card or something like mm -hmm. that. And it's, you know, $50,000 and they think, oh my gosh, you know, here all of a sudden now I'm, I'm rich, you know, but um, typically what that is, is a high grade the card's been graded and maybe it's a rare variation of a certain card you know or maybe it's just somebody that throws a price out there hoping that somebody falls for it if you click on sold listings there's a little tab on the left hand side uh if you scroll down and it said you can sort it by completed and sold listings and if you click on that listing you'll have a much better idea of what it's worth and ignore the graded card prices yes you can get your cards graded but it's very expensive right now on most most cards and i'm not talking 50s 60s cards but i'm talking later year stuff typically is not really worth grading because of the cost involved and the fact that it's 
extremely difficult to land a card in a in a 10 grade or even a nine, um, which are the, you know, when people talk about cards selling for a lot of money, typically they're the high, high grade cards um, because they're looking at this stuff with lighted magnification <laughs> and any little flaw, if it's off center by, you know, 30% or whatever, um, all of that gets downgraded. So the card that you think is mint might be, you know, a mint 10 is, is, is maybe a five or a four. In that case, the price of the card obviously goes way down. And if you're talking about newer cards, you know, a card that's graded five or six or four is just not worth anything at all. So not only is, have you wasted the money to grade the card, um, but your card's not worth anything to begin with. So that's kind of a double whammy. But it, that's the most important thing is just do that research, find out exactly what you've got. Don't be afraid to go ask questions in forums and things like that. And, and really learn about it before you try to buy and sell anything, really understand what it is that that you have maybe take it to a card shop if you have one in your area um, and just ask questions you don't have to sell to them just say hey I'm trying to find out more about this and and generally they'll try to help you and and uh, teach you a little bit more about what you have um, you know whether it's your collection or something you found at a flea market or whatever so Matt uh, you, you mentioned mint I've, I've heard this time and time again I've signed cards for people and the guy will come up and say oh this card's in mint condition can you make sure you write legibly one and two can you do an inscription on it right so i can do an inscription on it but what does the term mint mean and two if it's you know hof 2012 then you can do an inscription does that rate the value of the card at that point in time yeah it definitely does ralph if you put a uh you know your hall of fame inscription on there or somebody wants you to write your point career point total or you know whatever they want to put on there um most guys most at most athletes will charge a little more for that or their agents will um right. we're representing them and and that's kind of a common practice um it's just it's a little more effort obviously on your part and it makes it a special thing you know if you're putting something other than your name on it um it becomes a you know a little bit more of a, a better collectible um in terms of the grading um it's a little bit kind of two points to that. The first one is you can have a card that's not been graded in mint condition, um, but that's kind of an opinion of you or, you know, if you're lucky enough to have somebody else agree with you and say, yeah, that's right. mint condition. And that used to be the case back in the, you know, 80s, 70, or early 80s, probably is the last time before we kind of got into the period where you had, uh, well, actually early 90s was when the first grading company came in. Uh, but now the grading company standards are a little different. Their version of of the grading scale starts with gem mint, which is 10, and then mint is nine, and then you've got near mint to mint, which is eight, near mint is seven, and on it goes down to one, which is poor. Uh, we see a lot of poor cards with the, the early, early baseball cards back at the turn of the last century and before that. Um, but any card can be in poor condition if it's been creased or like I did write it written on <laughs> those early days. Uh, so that's kind of the, it's a little bit confusing because you have a graded card scale and you have a scale that uh, people, you know, who maybe don't grade cards or, or just have a collection of what we call raw cards that haven't been graded, um, you know, and then you're just kind of saying, whether you're listing it on eBay or whatever, you kind of make up you know, your own opinion on what that card is graded. Best thing to do is kind of be a little bit conservative about it. And, you know, don't claim your stuff is mint if it's, you know, if you got some off-center cards or right, right. Cards have little tiny, you know, dings in the edges because uh, people won't be happy if you call them mint and they get them and they're, and they're a little beat up. Ralph, you would love this website because Rich um, heads up a great staff and they have over 20 blogs a week and they may get into this discussion about 
the Ruth jersey or the Ruth baseball or the Mickey Mantle rookie card. And it's really a, a wonderful website. I had a lot of fun, over 16,000 articles uh, you can find uh, from sportscollectordaily.com. So I saw a video, Rich, of a guy who trimmed the edges because apparently the edges were frayed, which doesn't, which makes the card not as valuable, correct? So he trimmed the edges <laughs> to make the card as valuable as possible. Is that true? Well, Noel, if you do that, you pretty much destroyed the value of the card. Now, you have some unscrupulous people out there who've been convicted of doing that, um, altering a card without without acknowledging, um, you know, the fact that they did that. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's. Uh, that's a no-no um, because it's, you know, you're, you're making alterations without disclosing what you've done. Um, so that's, that's fraudulent. Um, but people have tried it over the years. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, they'll just, you know, if you're buying a collection sometimes and, and years ago, people didn't care. Um, I've seen scrapbooks of cards from the, you know, 1950s on back where, you know, the cards weren't really valuable then they were just something you collected with the bubble gum or whatever. And, sure. and so, uh, they'd get cut up or drawn on or kids would trim the edges of them and to fit in some, cause there were no holders back then. And so they, they'd cut them down to fit in whatever holders they had um, because there was no value. There was no reason not to do that. It was just a fun thing to collect. So, um, you know, you'll see those cards pop up in collections from time to time where people have done crazy things to the, to the cards. There's a Honus Wagner card, the T206, the famous card that everybody knows, even if you're not a collector, you know that image of Honus yeah, Wagner. Yeah. Um, there's one coming to auction in, in uh, January through SCP auctions mm -hmm. where at some point, nobody knows when or how it happened, but you know, this was a card produced in 1909, um, got ripped in half basically. So <laughs> it's it's a half a card a half a honus and uh but it's going to sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars just because it's incredibly rare um and you know the higher there aren't a lot of higher great examples but the ones that are you know look the best are selling for you know seven figure prices yeah. so um this this particular card looks you know sounds strange to say but it looks pretty nice other than the fact that it's been ripped in half it's not been drawn on there's well, no, I, me, no, me, me and mac me and mac got the other half so let us know we got the other half that's the great mystery what happened to the other half of that card wow Did somebody get mad because honest hits against their team that day you know and say all right let's take that honest so uh but that's uh that's kind of one of the uh, more extreme cases of alterations i guess i'm alex curry and last night mike trout made history once again but this did not happen on the baseball field. This happened in the sports memorabilia world when his one-of-a-kind draft baseball card sold for nearly $4 million last night, making it the most valuable trading card of all time. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift, empower, educate. Welcome back to the Winner's Circle Network, and this is Center Court. Our guest is Richard Miller, who a former uh, a television sports anchor, journalist, now writer, and he's president of SportsCollectorDaily.com and Sports Collectors Daily Inc. And, and what caught my eye and how I found your website, Rich, was a lady had asked me if I could get a Tom Brady autograph for a young man who's in a wheelchair. And I said, I'll just go to the website and look. And she called me back and she goes, the cheapest one I found is $2,000. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I said, maybe we ought to dive into another way to do that. And I remember in Ralph's day and Richie, you know, this, I know, cause you said 
you followed him, Ralph's autograph was a very hot commodity. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag, Mac, and you know it. So some of those autographs that came in, I never saw. Because Miss Holland <laughs> and our lovely secretary in the basketball said they, they, they could do my autograph. So they signed most of them when I was in college. So if you guys have any of my college stuff, I, I did not sign it. Miss Holland. That rookie card just went down to about $60. So, um, so you got to so, get the right one. The right and, one and, and Rich, that would be my question. Why are rookie cards such a hot commodity? You know, it didn't used to be that way. I think in the early 80s, around the time Cal Ripken was coming through uh, the organization, and then you had – Wade Boggs and uh, Tony Gwynn and uh, Ryan Sandberg. That was kind of the time. And then you go back a couple of years before that, Valenzuela uh, was a really hot commodity. So kind of the early 80s is when the rookie card uh, craze kind of kicked in. And and people always sort of knew that, you know, that was a guy's first card, but it didn't really become the, the focal point of the, you know, what cards were worth and that sort of thing until then. Um, and I, you know, I'm kind of old school in that I sort of prefer a guy's last card. Like if you look at the back of Mickey Mantle's card, 1969 tops, mm -hmm. he quit. He retired in spring training of that year, but it was too late. Tops had already printed his card um, from the 1969 set. So wow. you look at the back of his card and all it is, is his complete career record from, from his entire career, 1951 through 1968. It's perfect. I mean, it's a, you know, great image of obviously a guy that's near the end of his career in the back has all of his stats on it. Um, so I kind of like the, the last, uh, guys cards that are from uh you know later in their career and you can look up the not that you can't go online and do it but it's fun just to hold a card in your hand and look at the guy's record and uh and see all that but yeah and it's it's become uh such a weird confusing situation in terms of you know for people who are out there listening who you know maybe collected 25 30 years ago it's become uh a lot more complicated because you have the card companies not only producing just a standard rookie card of a player but there are 10, 15 different parallels of that. Maybe it's got a different color border. Um, maybe it's a, an autograph version of it, um, you know, which obviously carries a little bit of a premium. And then you have prospect cards for baseball. Now, Mike Trout, you know, appeared on a card two or three years before his actual first rookie card came out in the 2011 Tops Update set. Um, so it's, it's, you kind of have to learn about all of the different elements that go into it because it's just so much different than it was in you know 1981 or 85 where a guy had three different companies producing cards and there was you know only three different rookie cards or or before that 1980 ricky henderson has one rookie card and that's it you know his rookie card is in the 1980 top set and then the next year uh you know the Fleer and Donruss won the right to compete with tops. That was a court battle that went on for a long time. And so uh, beginning in 1981, you had multiple manufacturers um, and it kind of went backwards. Now the last few years where the, the, the leagues, um, the NBA, the NFL, NHL, and MLB have all gone to exclusive licenses for the most part um, right. to where each card company has the exclusive um, Panini has had, the NFL and NBA tops is with uh, with MLB and and then you have the players associations who also have struck deals with Panini in, in baseball. Um, but you know, an upper deck has hockey. They've had, but now with with not to get off the point too far, but Fanatics, um, this giant retailer now, um, where everybody buys their uh, jerseys and jackets and caps and all that, they've now got to deal with all the professional sports leagues. It's going to kick in here in a couple of years. Um, to be the producer of, of cards. And that will be a massive, massive change in how everything works. So 
it's that's a lot right there, and it's on, on it gets my mind wondering. So, you know, you get a guy like Zion Williams coming out from Duke, and you know, injured. Are you hedging your bet now as a uh, fanatic about sports? Okay, we get his card, but he doesn't pan out. He's not a Hall of Fame player, maybe, maybe not. So Panini, which actually I have a I have a long standing contract with Panini every year, and they send me stuff to sign. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> I keep telling them, I'm going to these trade shows as well. And I got people, I'm signing jerseys, but it's not the jersey. It's just the back of the jersey. They only do the front of the jersey anymore. I'm like, uh, this it, it, is not real, right? So it's, I've seen it at every different aspect of it. But when you look at the rookie cards that you get out there, are you hedging best? So let me get this rookie card and hoping that's a Hall of Fame card, right? And over somebody's career. And most times yeah. that doesn't pan out, right? Yeah, it's a roll of the dice. Um, and, and it's kind of the stakes have gotten bigger, too, here in recent years, like I mentioned, with all those parallels and insert cards, because obviously the rarer the card is, the more expensive it is, the more valuable yes. it is. So if you're buying a Zion Williamson card and you buy one that's, you know, numbered to 25 or numbered to 50 because you think he's going to become a Hall of Fame player and 20 years from now his card's going to be worth a ton of money, you're taking a little bit of a, more of a gamble than you were in the early 80s when maybe you spent a buck on a stack of right, right, you know, right. 20 rookie cards, you know? It's uh, it's a lot different. And uh, so it's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of that end of things where you've got the, uh, you know, the young players who – people kind of roll the dice on to see how, how good they think they're going to be. And then you have the vintage card market, um, you know, where we talked about Mickey Mantle or, you know, any guy that, that played and has been retired for a long time that, um, you know, you can kind of, it's a little bit more of a stable market, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's that, uh, you know, there's still some price fluctuations and, and things, the whole market has gone way up in the last few years for any, any kind of, uh, you know, vintage card for the most part. Um, but it's just uh, it's 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 interesting to see the two different types of dyna dynamics there for people who are you know hoping their cards become uh, worth a little bit more money than they are right now because you know you you the payoff is bigger if you're going after a rookie or a prospect card and taking a chance on him just like you know betting <laughs> actually making a wager on a sporting event um, whereas the the vintage market you're just kind of buying and holding it's sort of a blue chip sort of situation. Yeah, it's like a stock. Uh, right. uh, Richard Miller, our guest from SportsCollectorDaily.com, the president of Sports Collectors Daily Inc. What is the what's the love affair with Babe Ruth, uh, and and when did <laughs> when did that begin, Rich? Uh, right when his career ended, or did did the did the Babe Ruth card immediately take off? Well, I, you know, he's always been hugely popular, and I mean, he he redefined. Uh, the game in terms of nobody had ever seen that kind of power before. So he was a sensation back in his day. Of course, the baseball card market wasn't really that big of a deal. And it was just kind of, you know, sort of a thought of as a kid's thing. And a lot of kids bought the packs of cards just for the bubble gum, you know? Um, but I, I think, you know, Ruth memorabilia and Ruth cards were undervalued for a long time, honestly. Um, but that's not the case anymore. Um, and I think, that's really been something that's been in the works for 25, 30 years. Um, I've seen, you know, the value of his rookie card, which was almost an afterthought. This 1916 uh, was, a, was the, basically the year of his rookie card. He had, he had one issued when he was in Baltimore in the minor leagues. That was part of a, it was a schedule on the back and it was mm -hmm. distributed by the Baltimore news newspaper. Um, but his traditional rookie card is from 1916. And for many years, that was kind of undervalued really compared to a lot of, you know, cards of, of well-known Hall of Fame icons. 
Um, but that's changed. And now, you know, we've just seen in the last couple of days, we've seen some lower grade examples of his cards sell for six figure prices. Um, yeah. Wow. Would have been on, you know, a few years ago. And so, I mean, I got two scenarios. So, Kareem Rodriguez Jabbar, a number of years ago, tried to put his collection up for auction and sell like $16 million worth of play. Got the whole catalog, it didn't sell. And I, I do have some authentic, uh, which I think the best player ever played in NBA is Bill Russell. And he's a good friend of mine. I have some authentic stuff from him. But on December 10th, he is actually putting his stuff for auction. Now, Bill never signed autographs, you know, when he was <laughs> coming up. He's like, I'm not going to sign autographs. I don't have a deal. Have a but now his whole catalog is going for auction. How do you value, I mean, again, I, again, I, I put him at the highest esteem because I think he is what they call the GOAT, right? The greatest ever played. But that will go for what, do you think, because of his, his, his stature? Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see because, he, you know, it's, the stuff is hitting the market at a, at a great time. Obviously, the NBA is is in great shape and the market for sports collectibles is huge. And, um, you know, we haven't seen a lot of Bill's stuff come to auction um, because it's all he's, all, he's had it all. Um, and you mentioned he, he didn't sign autographs very much either. And a lot of the stuff that has gone into the auction, he's added his autograph to. So that makes it even more interesting. But, um, yeah, Hunt Auctions, which, which uh, is selling his collection in this big event, um, they put out a beautiful catalog. If yeah. you call them up, they'll send you a free copy. Um, but uh, they did the Babe Ruth auction a few years ago, and that you know there was a jersey there that that just sold for you know a phenomenal amount of money. And mm -hmm. did a lot of the other things in there that were personal to to Babe Ruth that nobody knew existed. So I suspect, I mean, uh, Russell's uh, his his Olympic gold medal is in there. His last game worn jersey. Right as MVP awards. I mean, it's, it's going to be uh, probably the auction event of the year. Honestly, it's uh, really cool to see uh, some of this stuff and, and how much interest there been. I think it'll be off the charts. I would think Ralph is going to be there with a paddle. Come on, Ralph. I think <laughs> no, it's crazy because I got traded to Sacramento and Bill was the general manager. Yeah. So I got his autograph on my contract. Number one. <laughs> and two, we become great friends over the years. And, uh, you know, he came through Virginia a number of months ago. He stopped by the house that it was traveling from the Hall of Fame. So I do have stuff with his autograph on it, which is, uh, you know, which I'll probably forever keep at this point. But uh, I know his wife and his family and all that kind of stuff. Great guy, though. But uh, I value him at a very highest esteem. Auto cards of LeBron are actually pretty rare. Um, he doesn't cards. sign as many. He doesn't have a deal with Panini, who makes most of the cards these days. He will not sign Panini cards. Okay. So there's not that many autograph cards of LeBron in existence compared to some of your you know, some of your other modern players. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to center court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Welcome back, Center Court on the Winter Circle Network with uh, Ralph Sampson. Great to have you. And uh, Rich Miller is our guest. Uh, he is the president of Sports Collectors Daily Inc. Wonderful website. You need to see it. Uh, SportsCollectorDaily.com. He writes blogs and covers. Up. So during the break, we were talking about the contract that Ralph signed. And so uh, Rich actually thinks he was there the day that Ralph signed the contract with Bill Russell. Rich, because you were you were working in Sacramento, right, at the time? Yeah. Yeah, I had just come to Sacramento um, from the Midwest here and, and uh, was a sports anchor and reporter at well, the Fox affiliate out there when uh, when Ralph came came to Sacramento. So, yeah, I was uh, I was very early and uh, it was it was 
pretty wild to see Bill Russell and Ralph Sampson kind of in the same same uh, sure. orbit than Sacramento as they tried to win some games. But that's a nice collector's item he's got. We'll put it that way. So, Rich, as far as the clothes, you were talking about jerseys and the clothing and uh, the guy who had the Babe Ruth jersey. Is the clothing now more popular than it was? I mean, is that now a pretty big deal, jerseys and, and things like that, other things that are signed by, by players and athletes? Yeah, I think the, the game-worn uh, market has gotten a lot bigger. It's sort of a natural extension, I guess, of the card market. Um, and, and they use a lot of the game-worn jerseys. They'll cut them up. Um, you know, we hope that they don't cut up the historic stuff, but unfortunately that's happened from time to time. And then they'll, you know, put it into little tiny one-inch squares and they'll put it as part right, of it. Right, that, that can't be real, right? That can't, yeah, that can't. No, well, <laughs> yeah, it kind of depends. You know, if it says on the back and it says exactly what it is, then it's it's real. And they've done that. They okay. did that early on with some Babe Ruth jerseys. But now it became such a big thing with collectors expecting these game, you know, these jersey cards in their packs that now you read the back and says, well, this is not from any specific game. <laughs> so you're like, right. well, what is it then? Why, why are we doing it? But um, the, big, the big thing there is to have that, provenance behind it you know obviously if you know ralph someday decides to sell his collection he's that's pretty good providence if it's if it's coming right from him um and it's but but you don't always know because sometimes a player will have given away a jersey or um you know somebody will have a story where it came from this guy and then he gave it to this guy and unless you can kind of photo match that jersey um or a piece of equipment a bat or whatever if you can do that all of a sudden the value takes a huge hike but if you can't then it's kind of like you know, you're just sort of crossing your fingers and, and, and using logic to determine whether you believe it's, it's a real thing or not. Um, but it's, it's definitely become a, a much bigger thing. And we've got photo match companies now that will actually, you know, they'll charge a certain amount of money and try to photo match it for you. Um, because obviously back 30, 40, 50 years ago, nobody was keeping track of this kind of stuff. And, and so they'll use photographs and, um, you know, magazine covers and whatever they can get their hands on to try to find a match for that um, particular item. Because if you can match up, you know, where the stitching is on a jersey um, with what you have, then that's a pretty good indication that, yeah, you've got the right thing. The grain of a bat is, is completely unique to that bat. So if you can find a photo where that grain lines up with what the bat that you have is, then that's, that's an excellent match. Do you think that then some baseball cards, and I don't know if you know much about this NFT stuff, where is this business going? What, what What's happening? Because I, I hear that. I got people calling me all the time to do this NFT stuff, yeah. but know very little bit about it. But where do you think this market is going to go? You know, it's a different sort of thing um, in terms of collecting. It's it's. I've tried to understand it. I can't say that I do. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm kind of old school that way. Um, I, I don't understand the the appeal of digital collectibles, but I guess there are a lot of people out there who think that is kind of the wave of the future. You know, I don't know how they determine the value of it. I guess it's just like anything else in terms of the, um, you know, the the amount that they release. You know, they say it's a one of twenty, and they, it's on the blockchain, and so. Um, you can verify that. So I guess if you're into digital collectibles and if you think that um, yeah, they certainly take up a lot less room than, than the stuff they behind do, me. They do, that, they do that. Rich, I remember years ago there were, uh, and during the card craze, and of course when I was collecting all kinds of cards, there were um, movie cards, monster cards, 
uh, you know, they're, they're Frankenstein and Wolfman, and are are they worth anything today? I mean, there were movie, there were movie scenes, and uh, do they even enter the conversation as far as being worth anything? Yeah, there's a whole uh, there's a whole other segment of uh, trading card fans who collect non-sports. Um, I can't say I've got a real deep knowledge of it, but any of the vintage mm. stuff that was sort of limited in, pr- in production. Um, just like baseball, football, or basketball cards or hockey cards, um, it's the same thing. If it's you know, if they're hard to find today, maybe Tops didn't make as many of them, or Philadelphia Gum, or whoever mm-hmm. produced those things. Um, if they didn't make that many of them, and kind of we know that now because of how many have come to the market and how many have been graded by one of the grading companies. You know that information's readily available on their site. You can see that maybe they've only graded you know five thousand of this particular set, and they've graded twenty thousand of that set. So. Obviously, the one that's you know been only been graded five thousand times must be harder to find. Um, so yeah, there's definitely value there, like the old Beatles cards and things like that. That makes sense. I Ralph, mm-hmm. and you'll love this um, uh, from Rich's website, which I I spent way too much time today. But there was a story in one of the blogs, Rich, that you did about the Wayne Gretzky ticket stub at Chicago Stadium. He didn't score; he had an assist, but somebody had a ticket stub. From that game, through over three thousand dollars, it's not even signed. But it was it was Gretzky's ticket stub from Gretzky's opening game. Ticket yeah. stubs is probably the hottest market right now, other than cards. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. It, the prices of his when I say historic things, I mean like you mentioned Gretzky's debut, or mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a game in which uh, you know Michael Jordan set a record, or. A, a run of finals tickets, the tickets from Jordan's debut game, which are basically like these ticket master tickets. There's nothing colorful right. or interesting about them at all. Um, they have sold for thousands and thousands of dollars. Seriously. So it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and tickets, you know, they don't make tickets, physical tickets much anymore. Not, it's all, not anymore. No, no. Yeah. Exactly. You know, ticket from Ralph's NBA debut, you know, pretty decent value there if you can dig those up somewhere along the line but unfortunately i didn't have a ticket so (laughs) (laughs) like players you guys sometimes if they sent you to a game they gave you a full ticket and so they never got torn and the full tickets are worth a lot more than the ticket stubs that fans came in so that um, makes sense that's sometimes when you see a full ticket come in or a pass you know those are pretty limited because they were just given to coaches or players or uh, celebrities or team owners or whatever but yeah the ticket market has been uh really strong and and getting those tickets signed you know the players sure. living a pretty big pretty big deal and it'll be i think it'll be bigger as time goes on because you know there's sort of uh forgotten relics now from the past because it's all gone digital well rich before we go so here we're out we're gonna play categories rich I want you to give me the number one card in each league okay so just like major league baseball number one card is the t206 wagner Okay, NBA number one card. NBA would be probably I would have to say Jordan's rookie card. Rookie card, and then NHL. Uh, Wayne Gretzky's rookie card. Wow, there you go. So, and NFL's got they got too many, huh? Too many guys. Well, you know, if you go rarity, there's a card of Bronco Nagurski in the uh, National Chickle set from the 1930s that's always been talked about as the holy grail of of football cards. But a lot of people point to, uh, you know. Jim Brown's rookie card or Walter Payton's rookie card. And there's a ton of obviously great quarterbacks throughout the year. So it's just kind of whether you're into scarcity or whether you just kind of want to point to a singular icon. 
Rich, it's been way too much fun. And uh, for people thinking Christmas and a gift maybe that keeps on giving, uh, sportscollectordaily.com. You'll get a lot of ideas. Richard Miller, president of Sports Collectors Daily, Inc. And uh, Rich, we can't thank you enough. And it, it really, it's got to be exciting. You wake up every day thinking today's going to be a fun day. I mean, that's, that's the yeah. best right there. You never know what's going to happen for sure. I like my commute too. It's like 10 feet down the hall. So yeah. 10 feet down the hallway. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good commute. Thank you so much, Rich. Rich Miller, sportscollectordaily.com. Ralph and I return right after this. The mission for the Samson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. Welcome back to Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. Richard was a, a great interview, and, and you need to go to his website again, uh, sportscollectordaily.com. Everything. You look, you can learn about everything. Clothing, different sports, uh, all the different cards, but all the different memorabilia and everything. Everything from statues to it's uh, it's all right there. And, Ralph, I, I think you ought to look into that Bill Russell contract. And uh, with your signature on it, see if it's worth anything. That that would be on my wall anyway. So, and I'll take a copy if you want to give me a copy just, just for my office. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to dig that one out. I got it. I know I got it in the file storage somewhere. I just got to figure out where it is and what box it's in. But I know I kept some stuff like that before. But great show, Mac, and uh, the memorabilia stuff because I'm actually in it with, with Panini and some other sure. companies. And you know. It's, it's, it's very large. It's grown over the years. And I do trade shows here and trade shows there, only special ones with people I know. But, you know, th- this business has gotten from a bubble gum, you know, everybody wanted baseball, basketball, yeah. cards. You, would, you just wanted the bubble gum at that point in time, right? Right. So now, now become the major business in the, in the world. You talk about a smell as a kid. You'd sit on the porch, you know, you'd buy that pack for a quarter or whatever yeah. it is. You'd go home, you couldn't wait, you would open it. And that gum, of course, was like a sheet of, of cement but i mean you would right and but that it, that smell of those new cards of that bubblegum smell i mean that's and then you would lick the dust off the card <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it was is good and really the uh, the sports collectors uh and where they have gone and where it is today in the auctions and i mean who would who would have thought that a mike a mike trout there's a guy called vegas dave he bought a trout rookie card that was signed for $400,000. And people thought, and this is a guy, he's off the charts. And I've seen uh, documentaries done on this guy. He said, well, go ahead and laugh. Um, he sold it a year ago for 4 million. So wow. he, he invested 400,000. And I don't, I know Mike Trout is really good, but a Mike Trout, and I guess because there weren't that many done and the Mike Trout rookie card went for 4 mil. 
So exactly. exactly. You know, we don't you don't know unless you unless you check it. Anyway, um, as we tick down December and get ready, I know your camps after Thanksgiving went really well. You've got camps coming up now, uh, following Christmas, right? You are gonna be back on the camp circuit, right? Well, that lovely partners, Massnut Resort, we're doing the 27th, 28th, um, from 9 to 12, a two-day, and then the 28th and 29th, another two-day of Massnut. And you can go to massnut.com and just look up and search camps, and we, we, we'll be out there. But it's, Mac, the laughing was so fun, um, you know, with kids out there. It's Turkey Day afterwards, and the family were so nice that uh, look forward to, you know, seeing what happens after Christmas and going into the New Year as well. But uh, anybody wants to join us, so please do, and uh, we'll see you there. We have a little Christmas uh, cheer next week, right, on the show? Yeah, good friend, uh, uh, jazz artist. You don't want to miss this show. Uh, he came into Houston when I was there with me, Warren Moon, and the great Kurt Whalen. So stay tuned for that next week, and uh, I look forward to that show for sure. Yeah, that'll be fun. All right, Ralph, have a good week. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. He is Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald. That's Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network for this week. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.